Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup. This for the week of February 22nd to 28th, 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host Jean Deville. Uh, with this being the first of several weeks that will be the Hong Kong quarantine edition of the uh, Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup. I have the tracking wristband to prove it, so the Hong Kong government knows exactly where I am at all times. Before diving into this week's updates, we would like to send a couple of special shout-outs to our good friends at GoTikonauts and at Spacewatch.Global, two excellent sources for space industry news. Uh, one last point on Spacewatch.Global, I will be giving a quarantine edition Space Cafe web talk uh, Tuesday of this week, so March 2nd, and that will be at 4 p.m. Central European time. So if you are inter interested in some more uh, quarantine-related China space industry discussion, happy to, uh, to see you there. This week on the Aero, uh, China Aerospace and Space News Roundup, we will discuss some updates on China's Long March 9 Super Heavy Lift rocket, a China commercial space investment report published by Future Space. But first, Jean will bring us an update of Xi Jinping and the Politburo Standing Committee visiting the Chang'e 5 exhibition at the Great Hall of the People. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. Take it away, John, with uh, Xi Jinping and the Politburo and Chang'e 5. Mm, sure, Blaine. So, um, a couple of days ago on February the 22nd, Xi Jinping visited an exhibition at the Great Hall of the People that was dedicated to Chang'e 5. And he met up with a lot of the top level Chinese space apparatus and also a lot of teams that were uh, in charge of designing and, and operating the, the Chang'e 5. And so there was an exhibition, there, was a, there were a lot of points of interest on, for example, the, the launch system, there were miniature modules of Chang'e 5, the propulsion, this sort of stuff. And after that, there was a group picture and there was a speech. And, and so on paper, it looks quite um, ordinary, but actually there are quite a few interesting things here to, to unpack and discuss. And I think the first one here is, first of all, this is uh, one of the, well, not, I wouldn't exactly say rare, but I mean, it's one of the appearances that we've seen so far of Xi Jinping publicly supporting and very strongly the Chinese space industry. I think the last time we saw this was in 2019, where, um, well, actually Xi Jinping did sort of the same thing for at the end of the Chang'e 4 mission. So there was also an event at the Great Hall of the People. Um, and before that, I think that would be in 2016 with Shenzhou 11. So that was a, a mission that included sending Taikonauts um, uh, that would rendezvous with uh, the the Tiangong Two Experimental Space Station, and 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 so yeah, I think that's that's the first point. And the other interesting point, and, and Blaine, you've mentioned a little bit, is that uh, it wasn't only Xi Jinping that was present; it was actually the entire standing committee of the Politburo. And so basically, what that is is the six uh, most powerful. Uh, people in China after Xi Jinping. So definitely a very strong um, support that's shown for the, the Chinese, um, well, space exploration program. And there were also a lot of high profile people, as mentioned, of the Chinese space industry. So we had, for example, um, Wu Yansheng, uh, uh, the head of CASC. We had Yang Mengfei, the chief, de chief designer of um, Chang'e 5. We had Wang Jue for Long March 5. We had also Zhang Kejian, who's the president of CNSA, and who I believe, um, when you look at the photos, who seems to be the guy who's giving the private tour to Xi Jinping and explaining you know, every, all the details for each um, points of interest. 
of the exhibition. And last point, uh, and we see this on the photos, uh, we also had people like Sun Jadong and Luanjie. So these guys are sort of the the historical figures of the Chinese space program. They were they were leading a lot of the earlier um, large scale Chinese space um, projects. And um, and so 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 I mean Sun Jadong, for example, he I think he is still officially the chief designer of the Chinese Lunar Exploration Program, but I think that's more symbolic. The, the guy he is 92 years old. Um, he he was born in 1929. So uh, I think China likes putting forward some of these historical figures to just um, put stress on how important how historical the moment of Chang'e Five is for China. And just last thing before um, handing it over to you, Blaine, um, during um, Xi Jinping's speech, there were some interesting points, notably when he mentioned that, um, well, that China had completed the three-step moon exploration mission, so building an orbiter, um, it's also an or two orbiters achieving also rovers and landers and also a moon sample return mission and that now China had to put full force behind uh, what was to come next, the phase four, which consisted in Chang'e 6, 7 and 8 and also the ILRS, the International uh, Research, Lunar Research Station, which we discussed in the past episode and which is really one step further in, in China's lunar, lunar space program. So nice support shown by Xi Jinping for China's lunar exploration program. For sure. And I mean, really, it is, um, it's impressive to see all seven members of the Politburo Standing Committee at, uh, at one event about Chang'e 5. Um, so definitely a noteworthy development. Um, I, I continue to stand by my general assertion that I, I don't see Xi Jinping as being a, a, a real kind of, quote, fan of space in the sense that I, I don't know to what extent um, this is actually an interest of his. Um, but it, it is becoming increasingly clear um, that Xi Jinping and, and that the, the Politburo Standing Committee, or the party more generally, um, are, are seeing space as a tool for, for soft power and for um, China having kind of a, a larger role in the international order, as it were. Um, and this really kind of stood out from a couple of different lines in, uh, in President Xi's speech during this visit to Chang'e 5. So a couple of things he mentioned. So uh, President Xi noted that, quote, exploring the vast universe is humanity's common dream and urged implementing the fourth phase of China's lunar exploration program. Uh, she also called for giving full play to the advantages of the new system of pooling national resources and strengths, enhancing independent innovation, uh, etc. And finally, he did mention, uh, he stressed actively conducting international cooperation and making better contributions to humanity's well-being. So I, I think this is definitely one of those things where um, China and the Chinese leadership recognizes that what they are doing is um, is quite difficult. I mean, Chang'e 5 was a very complicated mission um, and is quite inspirational for other people from other countries and, and is, you know, again, probably um, doing some relatively small part in putting China in a more kind of prominent role in, you know, globally in, in general. Um, um, I would also point out that the I had seen previously Xi Jinping go to different, you know, Chang'e 4, and as, as John mentioned, other such kind of Chinese um, space program missions. But but I think that um, th this also brought back a little bit the time that Xi Jinping went to Inmarsat in 2015. And he was, you know, talking mm -hmm. about building uh, a Belt and Road satellite using one of the Inmarsat Global Express satellites and, and having a kind of a satellite to link together this entire part of the world. So yeah, a lot of interesting points in uh, in the speech by, by Xi Jinping. And again, I think an indication that the, the Chinese uh, Politburo, that the Communist Party more generally does see space and the space programs that they are doing um, as a way of increasing China's uh, 
prestige or, or clout on, on the global on the global stage. Um, so I guess the, the main takeaways here from my perspective, and then uh, Jean, I'll let you go into the, the Long March 9 update, which we're very excited to hear about, um, are just the, the extent to which the, the very, very highest level of the Chinese leadership. So again, the seven most powerful people in the country uh, have clearly identified space as a means for international cooperation and economic development and and increasing uh, you know patriotism, this kind of thing. So, so John, to your earlier point about um, about uh, Sun Jiadong and, and Luan Anjie. I mean, you notice in the group photo that you, you have Xi Jinping in the front mm. center, yes, and then flanking him on either side are the, you know, these two 90-year-old men that you mentioned, and then you have the rest of the Politburo. So you have uh, this very, um, it almost reminds me of the, the, the New Year's, uh, the Lunar New Year Gala from a few weeks ago where we saw the four CASC employees come out and just look very humble and hardworking and patriotic and just you know ready to, to serve their country in whatever way they can. Um, so certainly a, a PR win, probably, and again an indication of China's ex, uh, increasing goals in um, in the space sector on, on the global stage. So, so definitely an interesting uh, update. The the Politburo visiting Chang'e Five. Yeah, and and following this um, event on February the twenty second, a couple days later, I think this was not unrelated. Um, we had um, Wu Yansheng, who's the deputy director of CNSA. Uh, be interviewed by CCTV, China's central television, and during which he officially confirmed that the development of the Long March uh, 9 uh, was going to go through, uh, notably for um, lunar and Martian missions. And this is an important piece of news in many regards. The first one is we finally have the confirmation of Long March 9 going to go through because China's been talking about this rocket for many, many, many years. I think it was all the way back to 20. 10 where there was discussion of a super heavy Chinese rocket. And this was at a time where Long March 5 was still under development. And um, in between 2010 and all the way to now, we've seen multiple presentations by CNSA and academies of CASC with mention of this rocket. And we've seen actually that the configuration of the rocket had evolved over time. Um, and initially, China was exploring uh, mostly hydrolox or liquid-fueled um, engines for the second stage and in the first stage, and we'd have also solid-fueled rocket boosters. But uh, rapidly, China moved to another configuration where we'd only have Carolox engines for the core stage and the side boosters, and we'd have hydrolox only for the second stage. And so multiple evolutions in terms of technology, in terms of um, just the payload capacity, total weight, and that's, that's changed a lot. And also the names of these different components also changed quite a bit, as is often the case um, in, in the Chinese space program. So what we have here today in terms of the latest um, characteristics of Long March 9 is that the Long March 9 will be a rocket that will put 140 tons into low Earth orbit and 50 tons into lunar transfer injection. And I've also seen uh, online some recent slides that show an extended version of Long March 9 that's 103 meters instead of 93, um, and that would put 180 tons into LEO instead of 140. But basing on what was showed to Xi Jinping a couple days ago, they, they showed a poster with 140 tons. So I'm going to stick to that figure. And so just to go really quickly through the configuration, so 140 tons, that would be the Long March 9 with its four side boosters configuration. But you would also have uh, a Long March 9A with only two side boosters. That would reduce, I think, the payload to 100 tons into LEO. And then if you take those last two side boosters away, you end up with... Um, well, only the core stage, the second stage, and the upper stage. And then you have a payload capacity into LEO of, of, I think, 50 tons. And so what is maybe remarkable here in terms of technology for the Long March 9 is when you look at the first stage 
uh, the core stage and the booster engines, it's a Carolox engine called the YF-130. And so this is a new generation engine. It's So its architecture is what is called a dual combustion, dual nozzle, oxygen-rich, staged combustion engine. So what this means, this is an architecture that's extremely uh, fuel efficient, although at the cost of complexity, it has, um, I believe, a specific impulse of 306 seconds um, at sea level. It resembles a bit the, the Russian RD-180. And this just shows China's increased um, knowledge and mastery of liquid-fueled Carolox engines. And, and it's also one step up from the much lower thrust YF-100 that was developed for the um, Long March 5. And I think the other engine that's worth looking at is the engine of the second stage called the YF-90. It's a 220-ton thrust Hydrolox engine. And, and very similar to, to the YF-130 that I just mentioned, this is a very fuel-efficient e uh, architecture. It's called, so it's a single pre-chamber, parallel, even double pumps architecture. I'm not sure what exactly that means, but I'll put up the schematics I'm on the video if any um, rocket savvy viewers can explain that a little bit to us. But basically, it's a much more fuel efficient, although complex architecture, much beyond what China was capable of previously, which was the YF-77, which is the Hydrolox engine of the Long March 5. And so for the YF-90 for Long March 9, we're looking at a specific impulse at, um, at a vacuum level of 453 seconds. And that really brings the engine almost to the level of some of the most efficient Hydrolox engines of history, which is, which is probably the RS-25 that powered the, uh, the space shuttle. So anyway, Long March 9 is not expected until 2030, but we know that China is already working on these two engines, the development of these two engines. Um, Space News reported in 2019 that um, China was already assembling the first YF-130 for tests. And uh, we also reported last month in the Dongfang Aero Aerospace News Roundup um, that um, China was also doing tests with the pre-burner of the uh, YF-90. And so last point worth mentioning, I think, here uh, is that when um, when Uyanghua did his interview to CCTV, he insisted on the fact that the rocket was meant for so and And so what this means means crewed lunar missions and crewed Martian missions. And it's interesting that he insists here on crewed because um, Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion on what Long March 9 would be for, obviously, lunar and Mars missions, but, you know, it could be Mars sample return. And there are also even discussions on some of the very high profile, very heavy payload um, missions, such as um, China's hypothetical um, space-based solar harvesting mission. We, we spoke a little bit about this in, in episode five or six, I think, of, uh, of Dongfang Hour. So I'll put a, put a link in, in the description. And so anyway... So it's interesting that, yeah, yeah, the, the focal point was put here on crude. And last point, I think this also puts into question the role that will have the so-called 921 rocket that China has unveiled more or less in some presentations since 2019, which was seen as an alternative and less complex, less heavy um, rocket to the Long March 9 and using existing technology, notably the YF-100. Will China continue to you know, develop this rocket? Will China develop two rockets in parallel for lunar and Martian missions? This is yet unclear, but what is for sure is that the Long March 9 is going to the moon and for the 921 rocket, we'll probably have to wait a bit and you know, keep our eyes open for any pieces of news. It's a big update, the official confirmation of the Long March 9. I mean, this would really, um, I mean, granted, as you said, this is not until 2030 or so, so we're still quite a ways off. But, I mean, taking a step back, if China were to successfully develop the Long March 9 
uh, in the way that they have that you've just described that they've described um, this would really I mean I think it would make China um, in addition to like the US and SpaceX really the only uh, country or, or sort of a, a space program you could say that that has the capability of sending uh, human missions to to Mars and potentially to uh, to the moon and potentially to Mars um, so, so definitely I think that the the official announcement of the Long March 9 is, is just another example of of China and of the government at a high level supporting the the sector and and I think the the explicit mention of, of human missions to the moon and Mars is probably I mean it could be many things but at least probably it is, is partly because um, that's a big kind of nationalistic inspirational thing and again I mean if you have a if you're another country and you want to send some people to Mars, uh, or the moon, you, you'll have two options, it looks like. And so I think that that's significant. I think that really would set China apart um, from a lot of other uh, leading space nations. So, so um, you know, again, a very, very interesting update, the, the Long March 9. John, you covered it very thoroughly, so I don't have a whole lot more to, to add. Um, so anything else from your side, or shall we move into the, the Future Spaces 2020 Investment Report? All right. So we saw a very, very comprehensive report released earlier this week by uh, Chinese space industry think tank and event organizer Future Space. Um, so there's a few few major takeaways. So basically, the report was covering the the investment into Chinese commercial space in 2020. Um, similar to data published by Euroconsult late last year, we did see that 2020 um, actually surpassed 2019 in terms of Chinese commercial space sector funding. Uh, now, Future Space had a, a larger number for 2020, which could be due to um, more liberal estimations for rounds of funding that did not specify the amount. Um, but consistent across both reports was uh, more funding and a smaller number of rounds, which is to imply that you have um, you know, a, a, a few very big rounds that are that are taking up a disproportionate amount of funding. And as a result, you know, a few very big companies that are taking up a, a disproportionate amount of funding. Um, so we'll discuss that more here in, in a moment. But I, I guess the next major takeaway um, was the type of funding. And, and this is also consistent with the, the decreased number of rounds. We also saw a, a change in the type of funding in, uh, in 2020, I, I would say. So um, the report covers about 9 billion RMB of total commercial space investment in 2020. And during that year, only about 350 million of that 9 billion went into seed rounds or angel rounds or pre-A rounds. So basically we're looking at like 4% or so of, of the total funding going into early stage companies. And this is a market change from as recently as like three or four years ago. We've also, uh, we saw in this report that strategic investment uh, rounds occupy a very large share of the total funding. So it was, uh, it was almost like a third or possibly 40% of the funding. Um, this is not particularly surprising given that the strategic investment rounds tend to involve either a more mature company or a larger financier or a combination of both. Um, so I think from that from that perspective, it, it's interesting that these strategic investments have have continued to um, to see you know to, to see growth. Um, th there's also um, I think this is also probably a, a, a large contributor to the delta between Future Space and, and Euroconsult's figures. So again, these these strategic investment rounds they oftentimes do not specify the amount of funding. It's often kind of um, it, it sometimes might even be that it's not even necessarily money, but rather some land or some tax incentives. So so certainly um, an interesting development to see that strategic uh, investment rounds you know had such a large increase over the course of 2020. Um, 
One last highlight from my side, uh, actually, no, sorry, two last highlights from my side. So the first one, um, Beijing clearly remains the undisputed king of space industry funding in China. So we had about five, a little more than five billion RMB out of the nine billion RMB in total going towards companies that are headquartered in Beijing. That said, we did see a couple of other big outliers. So Chengchun uh, saw 2.6 billion RMB of funding with that almost entirely uh, from uh, CGSTL's massive pre-IPO round. Uh, we also saw Xi'an uh, come into the top three with 537 million RMB in funding across two rounds during the year. Um, so just a final point from my side is it would appear that CGSTL's pre-IPO round was considered a strategic investment in the, uh, the FA report because that's really, I think, the only way that the strategic investment figure could be so large. And they also did not have a pre-IPO round um, as a, as a, as a uh, category. Now, whether or not this distinction is hugely important is secondary. Uh, the main takeaway, I think, is just the the subjectivity of the Chinese space sector. You just you have a lot of um, room for interpretation and, and a lot of, of just sort of uncertainty in general. So, um, yeah, I mean, certainly it's it's an excellent report. A, a lot of good uh, good takeaways and and a lot of um, of nuggets of, of insight to be derived. So, uh, Jean, what what are your thoughts on the the Future Space 2020 report? I think more uh, on a side note here, it's interesting um, to put into perspective the, invent the investments into Chinese space in 2020 with just the global investment, um, VC investment in, in, in China. Um, and while we see that the investment in Chinese space has continued to increase in 2019 and 2020, um, it's actually the opposite that has been happening. Um, in terms of VC investment just globally in China. Um, notably, China reached a peak after, I mean, just increasing in terms of VC investment in 2016, 2017, and 2018 before dropping in 2019, 2020. So it's, I think it's noteworthy that space is considered by Chinese investors as a, you know, as a, a worthwhile, a trustworthy investment. And this is just a, a more general trend where we've seen on investors be much more keen on a lot more uh, deep tech investments, such as such as AI and, and space is one of them, rather than a lot of those um, big shiny uh, B2C um, VC investment that we saw in 2016, 2017, 2018, and some of which, um, well, you know, didn't go uh, too well. Although some some others are definitely doing very well as well. So um, space space tech definitely considered as um, well, a good investment by Chinese investors. Indeed. Um, well, nothing else from my side, and I'm starting to feel a little bit ill because I've had a 40-hour journey that uh, got me to this hotel about four hours ago. Um, so I think with that, uh, we are going to wrap up this uh, Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup for the week of the 22nd to 28th of February 2021, also the first quarantine edition of the DFH uh, China Aerospace and Space News Roundup. As always, I'm Blaine Curcio, uh, joined by my co-host Jean Deville, and I will look forward to seeing you next week from this exact same chair in this exact same room, uh, because I'm not going anywhere between here and now. Um, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Have a good uh, have a good week. Thanks for watching. <laughs>